Hello, hello. Guys, I gotta be honest, for four weeks now, that video just makes me wanna go do layup drills afterwards. I feel like that was like a real high school basketball thing. Um, that and Imagine Dragons every time. You just gotta go do layups afterwards. So, uh, my name's Trevor, I'm the elementary pastor here. It's so good to see you all. It's great, it's super great. Um, I spend most of my time back in our kids' wing with our elementary students where I love, love, love to be, but every so often I get to come out here um, and talk to you, and I understand. Not all of you are their parents, um, but I just sort of assume that you are. And so I kind of get to tell you what's going on with your kids, and also um, we get to talk about the Bible in the same way that we would with them. So I'm super excited to get to finish out this series, this unshakable series, where we're talking about how to stand up in a bowed down world. And uh, I gotta be honest, uh, people have asked me this week a lot, like, hey, I'm so excited to preach, and I'm like, not really. <laughs> Yesterday, they're like, how stoked are you? And I was like, nah. And today, they're like, are you ready? And I was like, no. And I'm just being honest with you, but here's the reason. I love teaching and I love preaching. This is like, I, I, the fact that I get to do this every single week is awesome. But what I don't love is not knowing what I'm talking about. Um, I, I don't love like getting up here and then being like, I don't know, I guess we'll figure it out as we go along. Um, but some things in this text just keep popping up that I go, oh, I'm not an expert on this. Um, but fortunately for you, uh, we're gonna use the Bible a lot and, and it's gonna save my bacon as we go through this. Um, Dan has been coming back in this series to these three words, humility, wisdom, and hope. These are these words we keep pulling out of the story of Daniel as we talk about knowing when and how to stand up in a bad down world, knowing how to have that healthy level of conflict. Conflict is okay, but how do we do it in a Christ-like manner? And, and this is where, as I was studying and preparing and getting ready for this sermon, um, this is what kept coming out of this passage. I'm gonna read it exactly how I have it written down because I don't wanna mess it up. Um, it, it says this, our limited understanding of God limits our actions. God has promised us an eternity with him and has charged us with inviting others to know him and experience that same eternity. And God has never made an underwhelming promise. And that is something that stands out that when God makes promises, it's a big deal and they're really incredible. When God promised Abraham to give him descendants like stars in the sky, he didn't give him a big family. He gave him Ishmael and Isaac Ishmael, who goes on to become the father of Islam, and, and Isaac is who they trace back the entire Jewish lineage through. So half of the current world is a descendant of Abraham. He didn't give him a big family. He gave him most of the world as descendants. And God has said, I have, a, I have something for you in heaven. And it's a big deal, and we can't fathom it. So I have to kind of talk about eternity tonight, knowing I've never been there and can't describe it. I'm sorry for that. Um, also, here's the other thing that I, I understand but I don't get. It's this, that we live in a culture that values extremes and whether that extreme is your political views or it is the knife set that you buy off an Instagram ad. <laughs> we want something crazy. We want the biggest and the best. Like if your scissors can't th cut through a quarter, what are you doing, <laughs> okay? 
Um, we, we can't even have Bible heroes that aren't extremes. If I, if I go, oh, I wanna tell you a story about Dave the shepherd, you're like, next. But if I go, Dave the shepherd murdered a giant, you're in. You're all in on King David. Even when he was the shepherd, Samuel comes to anoint the new king of Israel and his dad's like, it's not Dave. <laughs> that guy's the worst. <laughs> Samuel goes through all the sons and he's like, do you have any more kids? He's like, well, I have one, Dave. No one cares about Dave. But then he's like, I'm gonna go kill Goliath and cut off 200 foreskins. Woo! And that's in the Bible. That's the story. I don't tell that story to your kids, but like that's in the Bible. Okay? We don't, we don't value the, the normal, the average, the mundane. Here we are. What? But, but what really can he do? And we go through the whole story of Daniel and we're like, man, he's like 10 day juice fast. Jesus, God. He then has his friends get thrown in a fiery furnace. He's interpreting dreams, hand on the wall, meeny, meeny, tackle parson. We skip that story. It's Daniel 5. Go read it for yourself. It's great. Tonight, spoiler alert, Daniel in the lion's den. I tried to let cattails um, let me bring a lion on stage tonight. I was like, guys, deliver it here. I'll preach with a lion. It's going to be sick. They said no. Uh, here's the thing. But here's the thing that I, I noticed, though is that Daniel lives in his life to be about 85 years old, and we know about two weeks of his life. <laughs> we know he does a 10-day fast. Uh, we know that at one point his friends got thrown in a fiery furnace. Uh, we know that at one day he interpreted a dream. Like We don't really know a lot, so we're like, man, everything that Daniel does is amazing. And we find out that like most of Daniel's life is pretty boring. But like, that's not cool. Here's the problem, guys. My life, it's pretty boring. I relate to the boring parts of Daniel. And we've been in this whole series of, hey, how do we stand, or how do, uh, how do we stand up in a bow-down world? And I go like, guys, I don't, honestly, I don't have a lot of things that I feel like I have to stand up for. I don't feel like I'm persecuted a lot. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm, you know, being told, you can't do that because of your, like, that's just not my life. So how do I relate with this whole series? Which, which brings us to where we are today, and it's this. Um, we've spent the time asking, does your walk with Christ define your, your mountaintop moments? But my question is, does your walk with Christ define your normal life? And that's where we're gonna look at Daniel chapter six. Um, so I'm gonna open up the Bible, it's gonna be behind me, six through, one through 13. Um, and you can read along. I'm gonna read really fast in some parts just because, not that it's not important, but it's not really where we're headed. So, um, six, verse one. Darius the Mede, uh, sorry, hold on, time out, stop. <laughs> Who's Darius the Mede? This is important. Uh, Daniel, quick, quick timeline. This, this is the part, guys, I'm a huge nerd. This is where I get excited. Uh, quick timeline. Uh, Daniel, born in Judah under the reign of King Jehoiakim. Babylon comes in, takes over, first mass deportation, Right, that's where we get to Nebuchadnezzar. He's the first king of Babylon that we meet in the Bible. He eventually dies after he gets turned into this weird like mental health crisis, hair grows long, fingernails grow long, eats grass. It's in the Bible, go read it. Nebuchadnezzar dies, Belshazzar takes over, hand on the wall, many, many tekel parson, days have been numbered, you're gonna die, he dies. Persians come over, Darius the Mede, he dies. Cyrus the Great comes in, he dies. King Artaxerxes comes in. Okay, 
Daniel has lived under three kingdoms and five, maybe six kings. We're not really sure about Artaxerxes. It's really up to interpretation. So um, we'll come back to him later too. It's gonna be great. So back to Daniel chapter six. Darius the Mede decided to divide his kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel is like top four in the country. King, three dudes, one of them's Daniel. Daniel soon proved himself to be more capable than all the other administrators and high officers, and because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Basically, Vice President Daniel. So the administrator, oh, sorry, uh, then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, this is important, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in the connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except for you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Verse 10. It's important. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went to Daniel's house, found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law for the next 30 days to any person who prays to anyone divine or human except for you, your majesty, will be thrown into an alliance? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. This is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. And then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Sorry, some of that was, was wordy. But here's what we notice. We don't like Daniel. Let's get rid of Daniel. We'll find where he's not doing a good job at work. It doesn't exist. We'll find where he's being dishonest at work. It doesn't exist. If we're going to get rid of Daniel, we're gonna have to change the law to something that we know that he'll do. And what we know he'll do is follow God. So now everything is now changed to go after Daniel. And how Daniel responds is this. It says the first thing is that when Daniel heard the news, he prayed as usual. In this series where we're talking about knowing when to stand up, uh, Daniel knows when it's time to stand up for God actually by bowing down. He knows to do this because it's what he's always doing. Daniel does nothing different in this story than he does in his normal life. Every day, three times a day, he prays with the window open towards Jerusalem, talks to God. That was, that was then, this is now, I'm doing it every single time. That's the first thing that needs to be pointed out. Uh, the next thing is this, his window was open towards Jerusalem. Here's why that's a big deal. Because when Daniel was 15, 16, 17, somewhere in that range, he was taken from Jerusalem, brought to Babylon, he's now in Persia. Every day when he prays, he looks towards God's temple. And he prays to God while facing the temple. Now, after the time of Daniel, there's this guy named Zerubbabel, everyone say Zerubbabel. 
Excellent. Online, type Zerubbabel. Um, hit that B button 97 times. Zerubbabel. That's the Pitbull remix. Mr. Worldwide 305. Um, sorry. Guys, Pitbull makes bangers. You got you to gotta admit it. Uh, so, Zerubbabel comes into, comes into authority as, again, one of these high-level officials who says, I am also from Judah. Let me go home and rebuild the temple so that God's people can worship in the temple. And he lets Zerubbabel go. After him is a guy named Ezra, and after him is a guy named Nehemiah, who both rebuild the people of, of God's nation and also rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to protect the people and the temple. Around that same time, Artaxerxes, um, he gets mad, has his wife banished. He gets married again to a nice young lady named Esther. That's where that story fits into the bigger scope of the Bible and Daniel. So, Daniel is climbing the corporate ladder of Babylonian and Persian politics. More and more authority, more and more power. We go, man, he is just killing it. And Daniel goes home and prays every single day and just goes like, God, let me go back home. Let me go worship at the temple. Let's go rebuild the temple. Let's go back to Judah. And so everyone around is going like, he is so successful, and this isn't even where he wants to be. That's important to know. The last thing is this, uh, he gives thanks to God. The law is put into place, Daniel, you can't pray anymore, and he doesn't say, God changed the law. He doesn't say, God defeat the people who are wronging me, he just says, God, thank you for being who you are. And that's it. We don't get the, it says later on, he says he asked God for help, but he doesn't complain, he doesn't lament, doesn't, doesn't write a book like Jeremiah where he goes, everything's so bad. He just goes, thank you, God. Thank you for another day here in Persia. Help me to do my best. That's it. That's what we know about Daniel in this moment. He's just doing what he always does. But it's obvious that he would give up all of his, his stature and his willingness to like lead the nation of Persia. He would trade all of his personal greatness for God's goodness. He says, no matter what, I will just continue to follow God. And it's important that we in our own normal lives pursue God's goodness. And here's why. Because God's goodness is from God. <laughs> Anytime you're going, should I choose my greatness or God's goodness, choose God, <laughs> okay? And if you're ever going like, okay, but, like, but what if? No, <laughs> choose God. Now, here's what happens in the rest of the story. We're gonna go back to Daniel chapter six, verse 14. It says, hearing this, again, about Daniel being the one who was praying. It says, hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel and he spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. I love that it calls it a predicament. He is, he is sentenced to being thrown in a den of lions and eaten to death. And he's like, what a predicament he is in. I love it. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed so the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, may your God, whom you serve faithfully, rescue you. Here's the first thing, that when King Darius goes, I signed this law and I know the law can't be changed. They go, Daniel broke the law. He goes, let me change it. Let me change the law. I'll change the law for Daniel. And what we know about Daniel is he follows and serves God. And he is, he is out looking for what God can bless him with and how he can honor God. 
God's goodness is irreplaceable. We, we know there are other high officials. There are other top people in the kingdom. He doesn't go, okay, well, then I guess, I guess Jim has to step up and replace Daniel. He goes, let me change the irreplaceable law and save Daniel's life. And they go, no, 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 you can't. You got, you got to kill this dude now. The king's like, I will do anything I can, to the point that he even goes, this God that was so worth dying for, may he save you. So the first thing about God's goodness in our lives is that it is irreplaceable. Nothing that you do will ever be greater than what God does through you in your life. Uh, the next thing is this. This one, oh, guys. Oh, I asked my wife if I could say this on stage, and um, she was like, no, and I'm gonna say it anyway. God's goodness is contagious. She's like, you can't say the word contagious right now. Um, <laughs> you know, that whole thing. Let me, let me read what happens in three different passages of the book of Daniel. Um, in Daniel 2.47, the king says to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. In Daniel 3.38, he says, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him, and they defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. And then in Daniel 6, today's story, verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. And then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. And very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the mouths of lions so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. And he had them thrown into the lions then, along with their wives and children. And the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Whoa. <laughs> then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. When we put God's goodness before our own greatness, it gives God the opportunity to show up and show off. And when he does that, people notice. These are, these are kings of countries going, no one like him. Kings in this day and age tend to be egotistical. Worship me. King Darius, this whole thing started because he's like, yeah, make everyone pray to me. And he follows us up with like, there is no God. Tremble in fear before his God. There are people around you in your life who will see you and what God is doing in your life and that will be something they take notice of. That will be contagious. Uh, the third thing 
and it comes, comes back to this full circle now, is that God's goodness is eternal. And the rest of this decree, he says, I decree that my, everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever, and his kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This king took power because he killed the previous king. And he knows at some point whether he is murdered by the next king or he is old, he is going to die. He says, but this God who I don't even follow will reign forever, eternity. Now, we don't know the rest of Daniel's life and the rest of Darius's life in this context. I don't know if this is where Darius then gave his life to God and converted to Judaism and will be in heaven forever. I don't have the answer to that, okay? What I do know is that in this moment, the king decrees, fear the Lord. And that's huge. Because here's, here's the deal with this one. Uh, you and I have a very unique opportunity as followers of Jesus, and that is, uh, Jesus gave us this really cool title in the Bible. In Matthew chapter five, he said, you are the light of the world. Not Jesus, you are the light of the world. He said, and like a city on a hilltop, it cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Your job as a follower of Jesus, is to live your life in a way that when people see you, they see Jesus. Now that, if you've been going to church here for a while, like that's one of the more obvious things that I can say, okay? Like I, I'm, I'm well aware of this. You're like, you're telling us we should act like Jesus? Cool, <laughs> so original. Here's what I wanna point out. Let's go back to this thing of eternity, okay? And this is, this is where I was like, I don't, I don't wanna preach this sermon because I don't, I don't get eternity. It's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that I can live on this earth for 30 years or for 60 years or for 107 years and that is 0% of eternity. It just keeps going. The timeline never stops. Forever. Forever. Oh my gosh. And, and here's, here's where I'm landing at right now. You're catching me on a weird week, I apologize. Um, I have a friend, his name is Josh. We went to elementary school together, middle school together, high school together. And last week, his dad was bringing some wood up from the backyard. His dad is almost 70, but his dad was from this generation um, where like men were men, and women were men, and children were men. And... <laughs> He, he broke his ankle carrying wood for a fireplace up a steep hill, and they were like, oh, man, pray for Jane, Denny's wife, because like, she's got to make sure he doesn't try and finish carrying the wood up on a broken ankle, because that's just who Denny is. And three days later, Jane had a heart attack and died. Unexpected. She's 65 years old and in normal health and she had a heart attack, and they took her to the hospital, and they gave her medication, she had a bad reaction, and she died. And her eternity started right there. She was 65, four kids, lots of grandkids. There's no reason eternity should start right there. But it did. 
Now, I also know uh, about Jane. This is, this is a woman, I spent a lot of time at her house growing up because I was friends with her son. Um, loved Jesus. Made a, made a priority to be at church, to make sure her grandkids were at church. She served, my mom is the children's director of the, of the church I grew up in. She volunteered with my mom. So like my mom is 60 and this woman is 65 and they're just like crushing it in children's ministry together. And she's gone now. So which side of eternity is she on? Like we, we know she's with Jesus and that's great. But I also yesterday was working on this sermon and my mom texted me and she said, hey, just so you know, we're, we're moving your grandpa into hospice. Um, he's in a memory care facility, he has dementia. He's, he's 91, 92 years old. And, uh, and then she said, you know, they don't think he's gonna make it much longer. And, and this is, I'm at peace with the fact that like, he's lived a long life uh, and, and has done some really incredible things. But the other thing I know is that my grandpa does not follow Jesus. Um, and, and this is weird because the last two times that I've actually gotten to see him, he has not recognized me or known who I was. He has, like I said, dementia in a memory care facility, and I believe that people can accept Jesus at the last moments of their life, and it counts, thief on the cross sort of situations, but I don't know if he is in a place mentally where he can still make a decision to make Jesus the savior of his life, and so, I now have to like struggle with this whole thing of this is the first close relative of mine who's passed away or who was going to pass away um, that I, I won't see on the next side of eternity. So I, I know that what God has promised in eternity is so great and he's not gonna be there. Uh, another, another weird one in my life right now, my brother is about three and a half years older than me. He's a missionary and, and lives in Russia right now. And he is completely safe where he is. But when you're talking to people about how to stand up in a bow down world, and he's in Russia right now, uh, the church is being looked at as kind of like, hey, what, what are you guys doing? How, how do you act about this? Uh, the, guys, let me just say this. Let me speak on behalf of the people in his neighborhood and in his church. Like, they're not a fan of what's going on. Russia isn't like stoked about this. And they're going, we don't know what to do. And so he has been put in this situation because God has called him to go to Russia. He's been there for like 10 years. And now this comes up and he's going like, dude, we're watching our country send other people into eternity left and right right now. And their eternities are starting today. And and you have people in your life who at this time next year will not still be alive, and they're gonna be, they're gonna be in eternity no matter what. The question is which side of eternity are they gonna be on? And, and that is where uh, the need to share Jesus and be the light of the world becomes absolutely non-negotiable, the most important thing that you do in your life. Because I've lived 30 years, and when I think about retiring, at like 65 years old. That's more than double the life I've lived. Like I can't even process in my mind what life will be like in 35 years from now when I retire, let alone what life will be like in two billion years when I'm still with Jesus because time has not ended. And I'm not saying that you're sentencing anybody to, to not be with Jesus forever. I want, Jesus saves people, you don't save people, he builds his kingdom, we don't do that. 
What I am saying is he said, hey, you are the light of the world. And like a city on a hill, can't hide that light under a bushel, no. So I wanna, I wanna go back to February where Dan brought up this thing about Vision Weekend. If you were here, if you watched online, um, where he was asking, who are your three people? And this is not an arbitrary number where we go, um, let's see, if you, everyone brings three, we can like quadruple the size of our church. Here's what, here's what this is. This is us saying, hey, the whole world needs to know and follow Jesus. That's a little overwhelming. Can you start with one? Who's that one person? Not who can you bring to church. Who's that one person that um, you, don't want to, you don't want to know that they're in hell for the rest of eternity? Because that's where we're at with it. Um, you have to make a change, though. I have to make a change. I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, it's all on you. My life outside of my job, I don't go home and go, all right, here we go. I just got off work. I've been working at the church all day. Now how can I go reach the world? Just speaking honestly, I think through that when I'm at work because that's my job. I'm a children's pastor. But I go home and I just go like, what's on Netflix tonight? And I'll have the answer for it. I know that there are things that you need to do. There are things that you need to do. There are things that you need to do. There are things that I need to do. That's gonna be up to you. But there are, there are people out here who are going to look to you because you say, I follow Jesus. And they're gonna look for how you act in situations. And I, I just know it is a lot easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like a Christian. And so you can go out and do all the right things the first time. Like with my son, he's three, and I'm so great about like, hey, let's make sure that we say our prayers and sing Jesus loves me before we go to bed. But then I lay him down and he goes, Dad, can I have a drink of water? And I go, why? <laughs> there are parents in the room. <laughs> Suddenly, like, my love for my son is gone because he's thirsty. <laughs> okay. There are people that you work with that you show up, you can show up in the morning and go, I'm gonna be the light of Jesus person. And you're gonna go, man, how's that project going? They go, I spaced, haven't started it. And you're gonna be like, you did what? And you gotta figure out how to be the light of Jesus because if that person dies on the way home, they're gonna go to hell. And that's a, that's a weird reality. It's a weird fact. And so I'm gonna pray for us on that note. I'm gonna pray for you to be a light. I'm gonna pray for the people in your life who don't know Jesus. Uh, what is it that you need to do to be the light of the world? Would you bow your heads and pray? God, we, we love you and celebrate you and honor you and praise you. And, and we ask for wisdom and guidance and humility and we thank you for the hope of heaven and eternity with you. And God, we, we just pray for those who don't know you. Uh, I pray for my opportunity to have impact in someone's life, that it would, that it would guide them towards you, that, that they would meet you, and that would make such an impact on their lives, that they would make a decision to follow you forever. I pray that for every person in this room, anyone watching at home. I pray that they have someone in mind, not that they need to invite to hear the music or hear a sermon, but to meet you, God. 
So as we are preparing to leave here, I just pray that you would put that on our hearts. Who is it that needs you? And how can we be better lights for you? So in your name we pray, 